0: So we finish up a series today, and it was one of those that I didn't know was going to become a favorite. And I know that every series becomes my favorite, yada, 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 here goes the pastor, wears his suit. But in this particular one, we got to look at the wisdom books, which are a collection within a collection and they're unusual. If you haven't been with us, we've looked at Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and now Ecclesiastes and and all five of these books are different from a lot of other ones cuz they're all poetry, right? It's all done in lyric form. And so when you when you look and the verses are kind of centered and 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 it, it's it's not a story, so to speak. It's not a, a narrative. It's not commandments. It's not prophecy. It's s- sort of standalone, and they call them the wisdom books because there's there's some nugget about life in all of them. In Job, we we sort of saw the big picture of suffering and how the the Bible talks about suffering a little differently than the world does. That the world says, "Hey, it stinks for you. It's karma." Wrong place, wrong time, or in prayer. Hey, if it gets you through the day, and yet we learned in in, in Psalms that we really can connect with a, a living God. In Proverbs, we, we talked a little bit about making good decisions and how uh, how that uh, the world just tells us to you know trust your friends, your stockbroker, flip a coin, magic eight ball, whatever works. We we learned about discernment in in Scripture. In Song of Songs last week, we learned about love, and the world gives us a, a definition of love that's too cheap, it's too, it's too easy. Well, today we talk about perspective. How, how do we view all of it? And even though it kind of goes out of order, that's why I decided to do this one last, is because Ecclesiastes talks all about perspective, perspective. Now let me tell you a little bit about the book, just for you who have a paper Bible and you want to write some notes in it. Ecclesiastes is a fancy word. It's a Latin word that means church. So whenever we see that this court or that court doesn't want to get involved in ecclesiastical matters, it's church. And so the the title of the book literally means church. And in the first line of the book, we we have the, the words of the preacher, And maybe your Bible says teacher. Maybe it says debater or arguer or proclaimer. And so basically, the one who speaks to the church is the one who wrote this. About 10 centuries before Christ, so 3,000 and some change years ago, this guy wrote about his life and he concluded that without an eternal perspective, it's kind of all just vapor, he calls it, mist. And so, this is where I want to go today. We talk about the futility of life lived without an eternal perspective. Now, is anybody a pessimist and will admit it? Anybody? You're a cynic, you're a pessimist. You will love this book. It's 11 and a half chapters of despair followed by one paragraph of hope. This is your kind of reading right here. Because this guy is a king. He describes himself as the son of David the king. So, so he has never known life without a palace. He's got, according to history, or, or first kings anyway, he's got 700 wives, 300 concubines, Unlimited wealth, unlimited power, unlimited decision-making, unlimited servants. He says in Ecclesiastes, he has had it all. Oddly enough, when I was reading it really closely, I thought I was reading about the American middle class. Think about it. If we want to travel, we pretty much do. Speaking of travel, hello to all you who are on the way back from Jacksonville. We travel when we want to travel. We buy what we want to buy, just Amazon. I, I can't leave my neighborhood without seeing the Kroger delivery truck or the Grubhub or, or the Chick-fil-A, Tom, delivery truck. And so it's like we buy what we want to buy. We go where we want to go. We do what we want to do, and that's, that's sort of our culture. So we should be able to relate to this once we we dismiss the idea that he was a king, he lives like we do. And he found that all of the stuff just left him empty. So he starts off the book, he says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so he identifies himself, And he lets us know that he is a king and the son of a king. And then his very first proclamation, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Now, vanity means something a little different then or here than it does for us. For us, it's kind of like we look in the mirror, right? And we go, good job, God. That's vanity, right? We, we kind of take pride in our appearance. We kind of go, yeah. Uh, but here the word means mist or vapor or emptiness. And so he's saying, everything that I've tried, it's like it's just a mist that vanishes. Everything I've tried is, is vapor that disappears, and I'm going, man, he's playing our song. Because so many of us, we, we do something that we felt like was, was a great adventure. Maybe it was a degree. Maybe it was a, a job change. Maybe it was a civic event. Maybe it was activism in some cause. And at the end of it, we go, did that really matter? That's where he is. And so he, he wants to wonder, and he doesn't really question whether God exists. Like, like most people in the world today, we, we kind of have this intuition that there's something greater, something more, something beyond. Some call it a higher power. Some give it the name of a God. Some, some give it the name of the God because they've actually met him. There's something really interesting in the book, and if you've got a, a, a Bible or a swipey thing with you, then, then I want you to notice this. He mentions God a lot, all right? So, especially over in chapter uh, 3, and then again a whole lot in chapter 5, he mentions the word God. Now you kind of got to look at the words for what I'm about to say to make sense because there's there's several words that the Bible uses to describe God. The one that's used most often in the Old Testament in your Bible it's probably presented as all capital letters but a large L-O-R-D, Lord. But it's all caps but with a larger L than the other ones. That is the word that that is usually in Hebrew, Yahweh, which means personal God, my, my friend, the one who knows me, to know and be known, to fill the longings in my heart, to comfort me when I'm hurting, to receive my confession, to, to let me just be with Him and know that He is God. But another word is Elohim, which usually means God. He's out there somewhere. He's distant. He's transcendent. He doesn't necessarily get involved with my everyday life. The the philosophy of deism comes from that. He's out there. He's he's God. I, I know He's there, but I don't want to bother Him with my life because I'm not really sure He wants to be bothered. That's the word He uses. A hundred percent of the time in Ecclesiastes, the word for Elohim, never the word for Yahweh, never the personal, never the, the available, never the, and I think that's a key to understanding what he's trying to say here. And hopefully it's a key for you if you're, if you're beginning to relate to the emptiness that's felt here, you're, you're going to say, okay, let me just hang on for a little while longer and see where this goes. And so, in this particular, and he, he starts off. He says, "Vanity of vanities, all is vanity." He knows God. He just wants to know if he matters. This is not unusual for our world, right? Our, our world sort of presents meaning in terms of philosophy or cliche, either deep philosophies or just memes. <laughs> Either way, we, we get a perspective on things. We, we get a snapshot of what people actually think. Now, I don't want to turn this into a, a philosophy lecture, but it's it's really kind of cool if you look through the book. Um, he starts off talking about how vain it is to, to even consider all this. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1, "...the sun rises, the sun goes down." Hastens to the place where it rises, wind blows to the south, then to the north, around and round it goes. All streams run to the sea, but hey, the sea is not full. Yada, 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 it's all a vapor. And then he talks about the vanity of wisdom. Interesting that this is a wisdom book. And he says, that's empty too. For us to pursue knowledge, degrees, thermometers have degrees, what difference does it make? And so then he talks about the vanity of self-indulgence. Now, if you are kind of taking philosophy or have ever taken philosophy, you've heard of the philosophy called hedonism, that that the ultimate meaning is found in pleasure. The ultimate meaning is found in self-indulgence. He talks about that for most of chapter 2. Then he talks about how vain it is to work. Then in chapter 3, the the song that you've all heard out of Ecclesiastes, I actually wanted walk-up music today, but they didn't do it. (laughs) For everything there is a season. Yeah, you're welcome for putting that song in your head. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down. That's existentialism. We, we would call that existentialism today, that, that, that to determine the meaning of existence, to try to, to find meaning in my experiences. That's what he does. So chapter 4, he talks about capitalism. Chapter 5, he talks about theism or religion. Chapter 6, he talks about materialism. Uh, it, on and on it goes. All of the worldly philosophers show up in here And we go, okay, it makes sense. This dude was married to an Egyptian that we know of. So he had access to all of the, uh, you've probably seen about the the Alexandria Library, the National Treasury. You've seen it. So, so all of the wisdom of Egypt, all of the wisdom of Persia, all of the wisdom of the, the, what we now call the Near East, all of the wisdom of the Middle East, all of the wisdom of, of Eastern Europe. He, he had access to all that. He was married to half of it, and, and half of it that he was married to, he married to because of political alliances. So he had to get to know kind of their vibe in order to, to, con, you know, to make the, the marriage happen. He had access to all this philosophy, and he couldn't find meaning in any of it. So philosophers, they try to find life, describe life in terms of meaning, value, purpose, beauty, truth, eternity, or not. A lot of philosophies don't really think about eternity, nihilism, determinism, they, the pragmatism, they, they don't really consider, is there something beyond this life? And I know I've lost half of you. If you want to apply for a grade, you get an A, I'll put it on your transcript. <laughs> because this, this, we, we, we struggle with trying to figure out meaning. What the, the writer, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, he's going, it seems that it's all vanity. And we've got a whole section of academia that's devoted to exactly that question what is true, what is beautiful, what is valuable, what is purposeful, what is meaningful. That's the entire field of philosophy. Or we can kind of reduce it to cliché. We kind of can say that it's a meme or a, or a cliché, that uh, uh, it, the, it's, it's not the destination, it's the journey, Dude philosophy, right? Be who you can be. You do you. Philosophy. And we reduce the the whole search for meaning, the whole search for purpose. Why am I so anxious? Why is this happening to me? Is there a bigger picture? Am I just a cog in the wheel? And I bet almost all of you have had some of those thoughts even this week. What does it matter that I'm even alive? So let's put it on pretty down-to-earth terms. The way that you see the world, your perspective, right, the, the filter, the lens, how, how do I see truth or value or beauty or meaning? How, how do I process that? Do I think that it's something that God's kind of in charge of, or do I have to search for who's in charge of it? Do I have to search in pleasure and in wisdom or in work, in relationships, in political alliances, in, in causes that I can be a part of, in entertainment? Do I, do I have to search for meaning? Well, there's, there's kind of a two-edged sword there because in a way, the way you see everything affects how you receive these things, but how the people who made them put them together, it reflects their worldview. Think about movies for a second. Star Wars. So apparently there's something called the Force. And the Force is with you. And it is a prayer from one person to the other. May the force be with you. Should this happen? If the force wills it. Will this happen? If the force wants it. So apparently Star Wars is sort of built on a philosophy of determinism that nobody really has a choice because the force tells us what we're going to do. It's reflected in almost all of our art forms. Back in the 70s, Joni Mitchell wrote a song, Both Sides Now. I've looked at life from both sides now, win or lose, still somehow. It's life's illusions, I recall. I really don't know life at all song after song, movie after movie, novel after novel, television show after television show, if we back up enough and we listen for what the worldview is, maybe we can identify ours. Maybe we can identify our perspective, our way of looking at things, and then either we receive it or we challenge it and go, I'm glad that I've got a God who instructs me and gives me some choice And I may say if God wills it, just like if the force wills it, but it's an interactive dialogue. It's not this mysterious thing out there. A couple of memes that you'll enjoy. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) William James is the father of modern psychology, and he experimented with a lot of stuff, including pharmaceuticals. And he said, if you can change your mind, you can change your life. Grab it at perspective. If I can change the way I look at things, I can change my life. I can change my destiny. I can, I can reap something, something. And I, I don't want to reduce a perspective, but if we see ways that our perspective, our worldview, if we see the way that it impacts our lives, does it show up in our actions? Does it show up in our relationships with others? Does it show up in the decisions that we make? Okay. Let's get back to earth. The scripture talks a lot about living in a fallen world. The world that we live in is broken. We, we sort of talked about that some last week and the week before and the week before and the week before. Probably talk about it next week. This We live in a broken, fallen world. The writer of Ecclesiastes knew it. Now, he was, he was a one for sinner. He, 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 didn't, he didn't have the things about the fallen world that affected him much. Poverty, no. Homelessness, no. Enough to eat, got it. Company, can purchase it. So he had everything, but he had an awareness that the world wasn't right. So all of these chapters of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of funny because it does give us, in, 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 in the middle of all this pessimism and cynicism and stuff, it does give us some really practical advice. Proverbs uh, Ecclesiastes 1, Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been and what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there's nothing new under the sun. Accomplishments. It puts everything in perspective. Every generation has a better idea. Every generation thinks their ideas are better than any other ideas. Beauty. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He's put eternity in man's heart. He's, he's put us, Pascal called it a, a, a God-shaped vacuum that He's put in all of our hearts. Yet, So that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning or in perspective on time for everything there's a season, on work. I perceive there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink, take pleasure in all his toil. Work is God's gift to man. So tomorrow morning, just recite that as you're fighting traffic. Friendship. We have a Sunday school class named after this verse. Two are better than one because they will have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone. When he falls and has not another to lift him up, if two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. There you go. That's where your Sunday school class name came from. A lot of practical stuff in here. Worship. When you go to worship, better to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Words, don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Wealth, he who loves money will not be satisfied. Reputation, a good name is better than precious ointment. Accountability, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And then I found a nugget in here that reminded me of the time that I got a phone call that told me that Robert was trying to use a chainsaw in his backyard. And, well... He who splits logs is endangered by them. (laughs) It's in the Bible, Robert. You you, you get a lot of practical stuff in here, and you go, okay, that's, that's everyday life kind of stuff. But what's the bigger picture? What is the writer really trying to say? Well, he's really trying to tell us that this world is broken that your intuition when you see somebody treat somebody in a way that's just not right you're right when you see a, a, a an observation when when you hear political campaigns that are built around things that just aren't right you're right this is a broken world and people that have never found perspective in eternity are going to keep making decisions that reflect the brokenness of the world we live in. That's why the preacher in chapter 1 said vanity. It's all empty. we're, We're thinking cotton candy is nutritious when all it is is just fluff. Our world is difficult. You know, there's too many people that think when we become a Christian, it's all good. Straight hair, white teeth, kids that behave, you know. It's not. It's a difficult world that we live in. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, God said, it's going to be tough. And our world is tough. All the more reason that we need an eternal perspective. And our world has become increasingly narcissistic. It's a self-centered world. If you look deep into chapter eight, you're you're gonna see that the the writer, the preacher, the teacher, he's he's found that that even his perspective has become self-centered. I view everything in terms of how it affects me. How is it gonna help me? How is it gonna harm me? How is it gonna profit me? How is it gonna cause me loss? not so much the greater good, not so much uh, uh, a, a common grace as, as the Scripture says, not, not so much that, that, that when our team puts an irrigation system in a field in Liberia, it's going to help an entire village and the children and the children's children and the children's children's children. And there's a sense that our world has become a a place where we are in a broken and difficult and self-centered world. Well, what does the preacher say is the answer. Like I said, 11 chapters of despair, and over in chapter 12, he gets to some meat. He says, Perspectives forever. Verse 13, chapter 12. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let me do a little more translation for you. Most of your scriptures say that. They say, the end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. And the word fear there is not like terror or Halloween kind of horror. It's a a reverence that when I can't figure it out, there's one who knows. When I can't do it, there's one who can. When I don't know it, there's one who does. He's bigger than me. He's outside of me. He, 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 is, he, is, he loves me. He believes in me. The songs we sang. But this is the part that's really, really interesting. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's really not a very good translation. A better translation would be, for this makes a man whole. Sink it in. When we have an eternal perspective when we don't feel like we are even able to understand it all, let alone solve it all, let alone do it all, let alone conquer our anxiety, our fear, our disorders, our whatevers. We can't figure out the future. And the writer of Ecclesiastes leaves us with this mystery and unfortunately, he never transitions from using Elohim to Yahweh. He never, he never makes that transition, but he hints at it. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He said in Proverbs, and now here he says, if we fear God... Keep his commandments. Do what he tells us to do. This will make a man whole. The preacher challenges our values. He challenges our perspective. He he says, just grab onto that. There is something bigger than yourself. Been a really interesting, tough week for Judy and I. On Monday, we drove to Dozier, Alabama, and I served as a pallbearer for one of my colleagues at the seminary. She was a a professor in social work, and, and she sort of wrote the book on death, loss, and grief. That was the most popular class at the seminary. And she passed away at the age of 93, having influenced thousands and thousands of people. Got a phone call that Amanda Breed, who is the daughter of Ken Anderson, who just really helped build this church, that she passed away last week. Her service will be on November 11th. Got a phone call on Thursday that Shirley Crawford, one of the saints in our church, part of the uh, choir at the 830 service, she uh, passed away after a heart stent operation didn't go well. And so I, I've got two funerals to plan and one that I just attended. And, and the one thing that I know 100%, if I can't say to these people, there's something more. If I can't say to these families, that person went to their grave believing that there was something more. Troubled? Troubled? Yes, mentally, physically, emotionally. I can point to all three of those ladies and, and there's, there were dynamics that were going on in their lives that were troubling. And if I can't cling to the fact that their troubles are over, that they're done with the pain, if I can't latch onto that, then I've got nothing to say to those families. I've got Nothing. I don't even know what I would say at a memorial service. For Paul, it came down to that. He said, if there's no resurrection, then everything we do is in vain. If there's no life after this life, then, there, then there's no meaning. Jesus said it this way, I came that you might have life and have that more abundantly. Paul said, but God demonstrates His love, in that while we're still sinners, while we're still broken, difficult, self-centered, Christ died for us, came to redeem us, came to give us a way that we can be made whole. How eternal perspective. Looking beyond ourselves for something that is bigger than ourselves to save us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it's so much to get our mind around. So much to get our mind around that your plan was to see us in our hopelessness and to give us hope. C.S. Lewis said he was surprised by joy. God, sometimes when we are feeling anxious, when we don't know what tomorrow will be like, when we don't know what our job will be like, when we don't know what retirement will be like, when we don't know what our kids will be like, what our schools will be like, what our jobs will be like, what our neighborhoods will be like, when we can't predict the weather, we can't predict travel. God, deliver us from the uncomfortableness of leaving some of the mystery with you. And for someone who is listening and saying, I want to be on the journey of hope and not on the journey of despair, I want to call him Yahweh and not Elohim. I want him to be personal and daily. I want him to hear my cries I want to draw near to him and let him give me a hug. That's the God I want. If you're hearing that today for the first time, or maybe for the first time it's making sense to you, will you give your life to him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you into my life. I pray that you will help me walk with you forever, for my perspective is forever. And if you pray that prayer, he will do just that. He won't solve everything. You're not going to make straight A's or get a raise. Maybe. But what you do know is that your perspective has changed forever. Forever. Because you're trusting in one who is bigger, one who is beyond, and yet one who is personal. If that prayer is something that you would say, would you please do me a favor? There are people out in the lobby with green shirts or name tags. There are pastors all over the place. Would you find one of us and say, I want to do that today. I want to repent of my sins. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. And I want to have that journey towards eternal perspective. Father, hear our prayers. Receive our worship. For we pray in Jesus' name.